The writer Frederick Beekner once said there are two kinds of laws, laws for how someone wants things to be and laws that express the way things are. A no hunting sign is the first kind. The owner of this property chooses to keep it free from hunters and so puts up a sign. But someday he could change his mind and take down the sign. Some laws can be changed. The law of gravity, on the other hand, describes how things are, and this kind of law you cannot change. You cannot say you are repealing the law of gravity and so step off a cliff and not fall. Well, the Ten Commandments are that second type of law. They describe how things are. And today on Groundwork, we begin a new series on these famous laws. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. Uh, and Daryl, we're uh, beginning a, what for Groundwork is a fairly long series, eight parts, on the Ten Commandments. And if our listeners are wondering how we're going to do Ten Commandments in eight shows, uh, this episode will tell you how we're going to do that, because we're going to, in just this one show, treat the first three commandments. Uh, they're all kind of tied together anyway, um, in terms of uh, the character and reverence for God. So we're going to take three commandments in this show, and then the remaining seven will each get their own program uh, in the next seven parts of this eight-part series. So when I think of the first three commandments, Scott, I always think that they're having us look up. Hmm. We're looking up at our relationship with God, how important he should be and the priority he should take in our lives. And so it makes sense for us to group these three together because they're all dealing with how we're supposed to interact with God and how we're to understand him to interact with us. First, of course, the Ten Commandments, Daryl, are part of a larger, really long section in the book of Exodus uh, detailing tons and tons of laws, rules, regulations. Over 600. Yeah. Ceremonial laws, worship rules, all kinds of uh, housekeeping details. But the other thing that's really important to remember is when were these laws first given? They were given after the exodus from Egypt. They were given after the parting of the Red Sea and the defeat of the Egyptians in pursuit. Uh, they were given after God had fulfilled one of his key promises to Abraham, which was to make a mighty nation out of his heirs. And that timing, uh, Daryl, is important in terms of when the law came. I love that you brought that out, Scott. So God delivers. God saves. God does miraculous things in the lives and in the history of Israel. And then out of the, the new life that they need to live after that, God gives them parameters on how that life should go. So it's not that the law comes first. These are the criteria by which you need to be saved. No, that salvation comes initially. And then out of gratitude of how God has done that, he is showing us in his grace how to live. And that's what he did for the people of Israel. Exactly. If he had uh, if he had given the Ten Commandments while the people were still in slavery and said, uh, hey, once you get really good at this, once you get really good moral people, I'll consider rescuing you. Well, then that would have been up to them, right? But they were rescued first. Grace comes first, right? And keeping the law comes second as, as an act of gratitude. So that's important to remember just in general. Um, that's part of our grateful living. It's also important to remember um, that even though a lot of the ceremonial laws and uh, stuff has been and set aside, the Ten Commandments are sort of evergreen. The, the, these are the core commandments that still apply to anybody, anywhere, and also to us as Christians saved by Jesus. This, is, this shows us how we should live. The standards by which they show us, they're always going to be helpful to us. They're always going to be a way for us to develop a holier character in our lives. They're never going to be 
expire. They're never going to go away. And the good news is we don't use them to earn our way to get into good graces with God. We already have that, but thanks to his grace. And so now he's given us a way to walk alongside him and to honor him in the way we live. Exactly. So we said at the beginning of this episode, Ten Commandments tell us how life is. This is the way things are. This is the like the owner's manual for life on earth. Beautiful. This is how it works. Um, so they're never going to go away. But it begins by knowing who is who, looking up, as you said, Daryl. So let's listen to uh, the first three commandments from Exodus 20. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me, one. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. That's the second commandment. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So there they are, Daryl. No idols, no images, no blaspheming. I see, Scott, as these as like the beads on the same necklace. Hmm. That whole cord that holds them together is keeping God first. Remembering that this is the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who has done all these things. And it's really important that God always reminds them of who he is and what he's done first before he gives them the commandment. And so if they keep God first, it's interesting how we see all over the world in other places and other in other countries around Israel. There's always someone trying to push their God right. and their ways of doing things and these idols that they have made, these images that they have made. It's always trying to encroach on God's actual rightful territory of being the God of all the universe. The Egyptians worshipped Pharaoh as a god and the sun and the sky, Ray. Uh, the Babylonians had Marduk and, of course, we know the Canaanites had Baal and Asherah. And sometimes we saw evil kings like Nebuchadnezzar who would declare himself a god and he would ask Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow the knee to him. So there was always that competition. But law number one, commandment number one is clear. No gods instead of the one true God. No gods in addition to this God or alongside him. We're going to think about that before this program is over too. But then, Daryl, the second law is no images. Don't, Don't make an image of anything. When I think of images, I think of things that are already created, Mm -hmm. birds, animals, or things of that nature. And it's inappropriate to give creator status to created things. That's a problem because the God of the universe is the creator and deserves this thing. But then this image, if we look at our reform tradition, the image thing, we kind of decided to guard against because we saw in other places and other traditions that these images became more important than they were worth. And so there had been a, I think, pendulum swing to the opposite side to make sure that it didn't happen. But we kind of lost something if we took that extremely serious, Scott. We lost something there. Yeah. Uh, Not to have any art or or to criticize the iconography tradition of the Orthodox tradition, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean we're worshiping a a false god. But this commandment of images does give us a good good warning because, you know, you and I both and everybody on earth, we tend to make God look like us. And that's always dangerous, right? Somebody said if horses had a god, it'd be a horse. It'd be a big horse, right? So we want to be sure that any images we use, any artwork we have doesn't 
start to put God in the box. So this is a good warning. And then thirdly, uh, Daryl, don't misuse God's holy name. So, you know, if you stub your toe and you say a four-letter word, it goes in front of yeah. And, and those, we've used God's name inappropriately. And when we call on him, we're not even actually using his name. When we're swearing by his name, where we're promising as in making oaths or whatnot, those things are inappropriate because the scripture tells us to make our yes, yes, and our no, no. You cannot take God's sacred name and pretty much drag it through the mud. That's what this command is. And that usually was what they call blasphemy when that happens. Exactly. Now, in, in tradition of scripture, we see people who got stoned for that thing. I call it a rock concert. You get a rock concert if you blaspheme, if you claim to be God or if you use God's name inappropriately. So they decided not to use it, and eventually they forgot how to pronounce it. Yeah, exactly. They, they, the, another pendulum swing. But that is what blasphemy does, Daryl. Uh, we've talked about it before on Groundwork. What blasphemy does is it steals sacred language or the names of God, or today we would say also the name of Jesus, yeah. or it steals sacred symbols. So think about what the Ku Klux Klan has done to the cross. Ugh. A symbol of grace and hope now gets burned on the front yard of somebody as a symbol of hate. Total opposite of what the cross should be. It corrupts it. And so also with God's name, Yahweh, uh, or Jesus' name now, when we turn it into a swear word because you hit your thumb with a hammer or you, you, know, you just use it flipping like, oh, no, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth, really, that cheapens. God's holy name, and we want to keep that name for what we truly want to do with it, which is proper worship, which we're going to look at in the next segment, so stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, one of the things uh, we say to our seminary students, uh, Calvin Seminary, where uh, I teach preaching, among other things, we always kind of warn them, don't let, in your sermons, don't let examples of sin be more interesting or colorful than examples of grace and virtue. And that can happen pretty easy because it's, you know, just turn on the news any given day and you're going to find plenty of examples right. of, of sin. But we want the good side uh, of life, the grace side of life to be equally colorful and vivid. It's really easy for us to sensationalize sin and romanticize sin and make it more important than the virtues and the good things that God says they're offered that are good for us. I think it's important for us to continue to remember the virtues of Christ and the virtues of God and how he is blessing us. So we need to look at that in the scriptures to see where the virtues and beautiful things shine. And so in this series on the Ten Commandments on every program, yeah, we're going to talk about what sin, uh, the law is forbidding. Yep. But we also want to look at the flip side, the positive things. What does following this law let us do, which is good and, and joyful and, and celebrative? And these three laws on not having any other gods, not worshiping an idol or an image, and not taking God's name in vain or using it as a flippant swear word, what that allows us to do positively is we keep the name of Jesus and we keep the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for their true place, which is worship. 
and proper adoration of God. And a lot of the Psalms talk about that. I mean, everybody's got to worship something, the old song says. Right. Uh, but we get to know who the right person is to worship. And look what it says in Psalm 99. It says, Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. And Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. That is who our God is, and that's who we get to worship, and he is holy. And um, we did a series on Groundwork not long ago about how God is faithful, even when change in our life is inevitable. God is faithful, and we get to worship this God every week. You know, Daryl, um, sometimes out in the wider world, we refer to a certain person as a fallen idol. Oh, yeah. Right? Maybe it's a celebrity or a sports superstar, unfortunately, sometimes even a Christian religious leader. These are people who are admired by millions, people whose talents in acting or singing or in playing basketball inspired us and moved us. Maybe it was a preacher whose sermons always shined with beauty, but then a scandal comes. And then we say, oh, it's a fallen idol. I think that happens because, number one, we underestimate the power of sin and our human frailty. Number two, we place people higher than they should be placed. Yep. But when we worship our God, we place God in the high and lifted up place that God is worthy and deserves to be in, not just because of what he's done, but because of who he is. Now, when we try to do that with humanity, we're going to be disappointed every single time. And this is the part that makes us disappointed when we look at who we put on a pedestal, so to speak, and then they have a mistake or they fall off or they do something wrong. We put too much stock into them. Exactly. And and it's heartbreaking. I mean, depending particularly, Daryl, uh, when, when a pastor or a preacher, yeah. you know, falls uh, down in scandal, that can just kind of corrupt a whole congregation and just bring a lot of people down and cast doubt on our faith. But it is wonderful to know that when it comes to God and when it comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that'll never be a fallen God. God will always be faithful. And that's why we keep God's name holy, and we treat it specially, because listen to Paul in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love this and I hold it dear in my heart as a promise. And so, Scott, when when he says anyone who believes in him being Christ will never be put to shame. That is an assurance that we can pretty much hook our wagon to the faithfulness of God and who he says his character is. And the fact that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period, that there are no conditions, there are no caveats, there are no asterisks. That promise is sure. Exactly. And that is why we want to follow those first three commandments that we're looking at in this program to keep God holy and in that proper space of reverence and awe. Because when we keep the name of Jesus and when we keep Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we keep them pure, when we we set them aside, 
we do so because it is, as you just said, Daryl, it's a very salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who knows the name of Jesus can be saved by that Jesus. And that, that is a, a, a wonderful gift. That kind of worship is also going to have a preview of the, the new creation. Yes. We can worship purely uh, in the beauty of, of holiness. But even now in our lives, it opens us up to singing. And, and Paul talks about that in Colossians 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We get to sing those praises even now. And remembering when we set God's name right and when we put him in his rightful place, then good things can happen. Exactly. Let that message dwell in you richly. It's a very interesting um, phrase in the Greek language. It's a third person imperative, which doesn't make any sense. You only use that kind of language when you're just really being emphatic. Let the word, the word of Christ dwell in you, as Paul says. Just mm, let it stick in you because it's going to fill you with singing. And that's why those first three commandments are so important in keeping God holy. But in just a moment, as we wrap up this program, uh, we'll think, Daryl, about some practical implications of all this, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And this is the first program of an eight-part series, Daryl, on the Ten Commandments, and we're taking the first three commandments on no other gods, not bowing down before any images, and not taking God's name in vain, not swearing by it. And it really all keeps, uh, as we were just saying at the end of the last segment, it's all about keeping God in God's proper place of holy reverence in our lives. But the problem is, as John Calvin once noted, uh, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Right. We are constantly manufacturing false gods. Unfortunately, because of our brokenness, God, I don't think we can help it. The good news is that God is giving us the opportunity to name those, surrender those, and put him in his rightful place. And I think that's one of the reasons why he had to give his people the Ten Commandments in the first place so they could know that that wasn't appropriate and that God needs to be restored to his appropriate place in our hearts and in our lives. And uh, I guess uh, that God mentioned it first because it's of first importance, and that probably means it also is something we're going to struggle with and need to be be aware of. When my daughter uh, was in a high school religion class years ago, they were given an assignment. They had to find one New Testament verse to accompany each of the Ten Commandments. And so for these first couple ones, my daughter eventually uh, went to First John, the, the first letter of John, chapter 5. This is the very end of the letter. In fact, what I'm about to read will be the last words of First John. John wrote, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
And now here is the last line of John's letter. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Zinger. Yeah. <laughs> he hits him right with the zinger right before he walks right out the door. He says, oh, one more thing. Boom. And it's interesting to me is that even though John may be talking about wood and stone and animals and birds of that nature, then when we fast forward to this time, those idols have not gone away. They have just changed in form. There are digital idols, there are, there are technological idols and, and more updated ones that are constantly around us and we still need to heed this warning to keep ourselves from idols. Sage advice. Now, sometimes, you know, some of us might think, well, I do. You know, I don't worship false gods, you know? I mean, yeah, we know there are gods out there like Allah or Vishnu or Shiva or Confucius, gods of other religions, but we're not terribly tempted to worship those. So, you know, I probably don't have a problem with idolatry or worshiping the wrong God. I know who God is. Uh, but here's the thing. The classic Reformed Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, makes great comments on all the Ten Commandments. We'll probably be coming back to it a lot in this series. But here's what it says is the meaning of these first commands. This is a quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God. That's the alongside of part that scares me. That is a convicting line because we often, if we're, if we're honest, Scott, we try to help God mm. in certain situations or we think God needs an addition to. And that could be dangerous, especially if God wants to be number one. Do we go to him as our ultimate source of trust or do we think we need to help that out? That's really tricky. Exactly. We sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. But in the back of our mind, we also think, yeah, but I really like having all that <laughs> money in the bank and my stock market portfolio is pretty good. I get a solid retirement. 401k is good. Yeah. In Christ alone. And these other things help. And Jesus knew this, right? I mean, Sermon on the Mount, right? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But there are other idols other than money as well. So what's interesting about what Jesus says is that you can't serve two masters. Right. So we will think we're being devoted to one. But our, if our time, if our energy, if our thoughts, if our emotional connection is with the other, then that is our master. Exactly. And so we have to have an honest conversation with the Lord and people we're accountable to to see where that time and energy goes. I spend a lot of time with people who are in relationships, whether they're good or bad, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. This is a litmus test that I have for them, Scott. How much time, how much energy, how much resources do you spend in it versus how much time you spend in the word or in devotion or in prayer? Because you'll know if that person's heart is moving away from God or towards them in those situations. That's right. We might spend more time thinking about our uh, how glamorous or physically beautiful or handsome we are. We make an idol out of our appearances. In America, we make a big idol out of success. Oh, we, yeah. we pour all our energy. I mean, look at that singing show, right? It, it's even called American Idol, right? <laughs> Who's going to be the next American Idol? They call it that for a reason. There's the seductive idol of political power, and, and some churches have been seduced by wanting to get more political power. All of these things 
oh, they don't take God's place. I mean, we don't worship them. We don't sing hymns to them. But maybe it's that alongside of thing again that kind of scares us. You were just mentioning about your litmus test. It reminds me of the movie The Devil Wears Prada. We see this young woman uh, named Andy, and she gets slowly sucked into and seduced by the world of high fashion and glamour, working for a very high-profile person who demands 24-7 commitment. She's got to be available every minute of the day. And it puts a real strain on her relationship with her boyfriend. And so she's trying to tell him, no, 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 you're, the, you're still the most important to me. It's 10 o'clock at night. Her cell phone rings. It's her boss. She says, I got to take this. And her boyfriend says, yeah, you know, the person whose calls you always have to take, that's who's really important to you. And that's what we need to guard against, that we aren't more dear children. Keep yourselves from idols, the Apostle John warned us. And not just the idols that take the place of God, but that go alongside of God. I think that if we remember these three commandments and keep God priority, then it will help to guard our hearts like the Apostle John is telling us. And that is something we're going to need each and every day. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study the fourth commandment and discuss what it means to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Don Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.